tonight we are going to have a final chat and it's the lovely Shads and I speaking tonight. What's up, Shadi? What's up, Sarsour? How you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. So, Shadi, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, we're talking about hypocrisy tonight, which is uh, heavy, but like very popular kind of, we see it all the time. So it's, I think it's really worth talking about tonight, but. Yeah. Yeah. We go, we're going for that uh, popular with the kids stuff. That's it. And um, you're right. It is, it is uh, really important. And my first sort of question for us is uh, what is hypocrisy? Because I mm -hmm. think people have varying understandings of it. So it would be good to arrive at a similar conclusion. Um, and secondly, why does it infuriate people so much when they see or experience it? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll kick it off with, with sort of something that you said. Um, yeah. You mean we spoke about this earlier? Yeah, oh, we, yeah, we spoke about this earlier. Guys, here's, here's one I prepared earlier. Um, no, when, when we were talking earlier, we were sort of mentioning like this higher standard that people expect um, religious people to be held to, especially Christians who preach you know, love and grace and all of these different things out of context, mind you, but like um, at the same time, they look at you and they're like, hey, you follow Jesus, you're supposed to be good. And you say that you follow Jesus, you are like, you're, we hold you to a higher standard. Even if we kind of, you know, dismiss you or call you stupid or whatever, we expect you to at least live according to what you say you believe. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, in, in the world and, and, and in, in, in every other kind of aspect of life, when you say something and you don't stick to it, you're really, you're opening yourself up for, um, for ridicule and you sort of discredit the thing that you say you believe because, well, if it's not kind of good enough for you to follow or you don't want to, then, you know, why should I? So it hurts and, and destroys our witness, but it's infuriating to the world outside because I think, deep down they're looking for hope and they're hoping that they're wrong about you and me. Mm. And they hope, like they're hoping deep down that there is actually a hope and that there is actually, you know, something to believe in that, that is solid and concrete and leads to life and joy mm. and all mm. the things that Jesus says are actually the truth. Um, mm. But then when they see us um, say all of those things and then fall so spectacularly short of them, it, it's like a double rage because man, I thought, I thought that this was the answer and, and look at these people, this isn't the answer. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go after them and destroy them. And, uh, and I think, yeah, that, that frustration comes from not just, Hey, he, he should have done that, but he didn't. But yeah. I hoped in this as well, deep down, I really did hope that this was the answer. And for mm -hmm. me, at least from the outside, it looks like it isn't. So I think that that's a devastating blow to somebody yeah. and to our witness as believers to the rest of the world. But what do you think? Yeah, that's good. And I think we should explore that um, further um, as we as we discuss. But just yeah, to go back to the um, to go back to basics, you kind of covered it in your answer. But hypocrisy is um, when you act in a way that doesn't match how you speak mm. and what you believe. And actually, um, I was thinking about this, and maybe those of you who study psych um, can. Uh, appreciate this but there's a term for that in human behavior which is known as cognitive dissonance mm. where you act in a way that doesn't gel with what you believe 
I think. I think that's the definition of it. Um, and it's a human phenomena. And something that we know uh, is that humans are imperfect beings. And that includes Christians. But I think that it infuriates people when Christians in particular don't hold to their moral standards because they're the ones who are preaching about it, you know, shouting from the roof, rooftops, essentially in the world's eyes, that um, there is a good and better way um, for you to live. And when we don't live up to that, like you said, that angers people because, well, why did you go, you know, and advertise that you were a particular way and then act differently? And mm. I think, you know, in terms of the sort of world we live in today, we see that in the way that people respond to the Catholic Church in particular mm. and how priests who have um, succumbed to a temptation, a horrible um, acts that have been committed against children by different priests, um, people respond to that by vilifying the whole Catholic Church for yeah. the actions of those few priests. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, that kind of brings us to our second point, which is, and you've kind of touched on this, but have you personally experienced hypocrisy to the point where it's put you off Christianity? Yeah, I have. It, it, didn't, it didn't put me off Christianity, though, in that um, there's this, this analogy that we were speaking about earlier where a guy was saying, if you've ever been hiking or you've kind of ever been up in the mountains or whatever, and you've seen a river and you followed it to where it starts, where the mouth of the river is, the water is always pure and it's always clean. Where the river actually begins, the source of it. You can, you can put a cup under that and drink it, where it's coming out of the rock or whatever, it's, you know, this, this small stream. And then as you follow the river a couple of kilometers downstream, it turns green. It has all these swirling bits, all the leaves have blocked it up. And it's, it's you know, if you tried to drink that, it would kill you. It's, it's, mm. it's poison. Yeah, don't drink stagnant water. If you're ever on a camping trip, it must be running water. Otherwise... That that's a good that's a good hiking and camping like if anybody is so inclined follow that advice right the bible is very relevant to hiking that's, and camping that's right but from a spiritual perspective where we're asked to um look at the source of our faith and make our decisions based on who jesus is not mm -hmm. i think that the the trouble comes when you say put put me off christianity is when um you know you said it before when we were talking gandhi said you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because he saw the mouth of the river. He saw the source of the river and he's like, man, this Jesus is awesome. But then he followed the river downstream and he's like, man, look at these Christians. Like, I, I want to drink this, but I don't, I don't want to be near this. Mm. And I think the, the putting off part comes when we put our hope in like something that isn't the source of the river. We don't, we just look at the bottom and we go, this river is disgusting. We never take the time to follow it to the top and go, but what does Jesus actually say? Is this who he actually is? Is this what Christianity actually is? Or is this just the failings of human beings? And there are, there are two verses that I want to read to you. Um, one is in Psalm 146, um, verse three. It says, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Um, and then Acts 4.12 says, 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In other words, keep your eyes fixed on the source of the river. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. For me personally, to answer your question directly, growing up, um, I, was, I was part of a church where this, this one incident happened. This wasn't the whole church. This wasn't everyone. But this was one incident that happened. I think I was, I was 16 or 17, and I was reading my Bible pretty heavily at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was listening kind of carefully to what Jesus was saying. But on this one Sunday morning, I knew that there was, there was a disagreement between these two brothers. And the, the, we used to sit kind of opposite each other. You could see kind of everyone. And I could see, you know, the, the bread and the wine, the communion in the middle of the setup. And I could see these two men staring daggers into each other's eyes. I knew that they had a massive disagreement and the way that they, you know, they were kind of throwing barbs across the room mm. and yet they were doing it in a, you know, a religious way. If, if you didn't know, you'd be like, Oh, you know, what a prayer and what are this and what are that. But I was listening to them and I was seeing them do all of the right things. Mm. But I was like, this, this is completely against everything I read last night. Like, Jesus said, if you had a disagreement with your brother, leave your gift at the altar, go make up with your brother and then present me your gift because you can't hate your brother and, and love me. Like, I, you know, I gave him for you to. And so all of these things that I'm reading, I'm like, this is how Jesus says we're supposed to behave. And this is how we're to deal with these situations. I'm like, you guys aren't dealing with this at all. And yet you're continuing to do all of the things that are religious and outward mm. good. Mm. So, and so that's when I woke up to, oh, wait a second. Um, that put me off in that I wanted to make sure that the way that I lived and the way that um, church ran wasn't this way. Um, and, and it really made me, um, unfortunately, I've fallen into all of those traps myself, but I've, but I've fought hard mm. to um, sort of make sure that those things are weeded out and that open conversations are had so that mm-hmm. those things don't grow in the shadows and we, on the inside, we're rotting more and more and more. And on the outside, we, we, we're looking better and better and more religious than ever. But there is a huge disconnect between who we actually are in the dark and, and who we are in, in front of people. And that's really the essence yeah. of hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and, and there's that cognitive dissonance again. Hypocrisy, I think, in our hearts, and, I, and I, tell me if you agree with this or not, but I feel like you know, in the example that you just shared of church elders in, engaging in religious acts but being hard-hearted towards each other and, and therefore, you know, being hypocrites. Um, I feel like that comes from a place of spiritual pride more mm. often than not. And the, you know, the Bible has a lot, God has a lot to say about pride. And, you know, we have this saying, pride comes before a fall. Mm. Um, and that God opposes the proud, and this is biblical, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mm. And it's terrifying to think that you can act as a hypocrite without knowing, right? Like you can have um, no self-insight into your own heart. Mm. And in that case, I think that it's, it's one of the more deceitful and deceptive and um, insidious sins because you can be totally unaware of it, yeah. right? Um, so, so moving on from that, what's, you know, 
I've touched on it a little bit, but what does the Bible have to say about hypocrisy? Um, well, there's, there's, there's a lot, actually. Um, and Jesus saved his harshest words for religious hypocrites or the people who were the leaders of faith in his time, um, which I think is a sobering thing because when the world looks at us from the outside, they're like, oh, Christians are this and Christians. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes rightly so, unfortunately, because of awful things that have happened. Um, but if they read the Bible for themselves, they would realize that Jesus is much more opposed to that kind of hypocrisy than even they are. He, he was more against that than anything else, because to him, he, um, he saw that outward religion without the inward change of heart as something that led people away from him and ultimately to an eternal separation from him and hell. So it's like, if you follow me or if you follow just rituals and, and, and religious things that look good, um, but you, your heart hasn't been changed. The, the, the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you of sin. You haven't accepted that you can never be good enough, no matter how much outward goodness you do, um, then you will perish because you have not acknowledged that you need a savior. You haven't, you haven't grabbed onto Jesus as the person who can save you. And that's, that only happens when you come to the end of yourself. And so when you say the spiritual pride, the spiritual pride in thinking that there is anything that I can do to work myself, uh, you know, to be good enough, um, to be sort of in God's eyes to be saved. Mm. But then there's also that, that, that side that you're talking about. Of, I'm, I'm oblivious to it where, um, you know, you just want to appear, you want all the benefits of appearing in front of men to be a, a, a respected religious person because there are perks that come with that. Oh, I, you know, I listen to this person. I pay attention to them. I, you know, and we see many men corrupted by that, um, mm. by having that much attention on them and they crave it. Mm. Um, but I think that the best way to kind of understand how Jesus looks at hypocrisy and what hypocrisy looks like is to read Matthew 23. Do you want to, yeah. do you have that up? I so, do. Do you want to read that? Yeah. Let's, let's have a look at what Jesus says. In Matthew 23, hmm. uh, warning, this is some harsh language coming up. So he says, you blind guides, and he's referring to the Pharisees. You filter out a gnat and gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of a cup and of the plate, but within you are full of extortion and grasping self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and of the plate so that the outside may be clean also. And just um, before we, we dive into what, what that means, I should probably go back and say um, the word hypocrite, I'm pretty sure comes from the Greek and refers to an actor on a stage, so a performer. Um, so he's literally calling them actors, people who act spiritual, people who act godly um, and who are, you know, completely falling short of, any godly uh, behavioral heart for God. Yeah. I, I think um, the, the fruit, the verse of, about the fruit of the spirit, which is, you know, what, what you're talking about, Sarah, and what, what Christ is talking about here is that there is a, an outward appearance, but there is no inward change. Mm. There is no actual knowledge of God. There is no actual relationship with God. In the case of the Pharisees, you can be a Christian and be hypocritical in different areas of your life, but God will convict you in those areas. The Holy Spirit will come and say, hey, this doesn't line up. 
and then we'll begin to work on on uh, on your heart in those areas as you submit more and more and more to him and that's what the christian life is characterized by you know you begin as something like uh, what's the saying you you come as you are but god doesn't leave you as you are you always come as you are you can't clean yourself up you can't you you've tried already it doesn't work and that's when if you continue in that that's when you become a hypocrite you're trying to be good but you can never be good enough but the gospel is letting go of all that and saying god i am not good enough and i can never be good enough thank you that you were good enough for me i submit to you and and that submission continues all the days of your life more and more and more as God weeds out and sands out all of these different areas of your life. Yeah, as he sanctifies us through the process. That's yeah. exactly and salvation, right. Yeah, salvation is a process that involves sanctification. Exactly. Um, and that, that, that word is really just the, the sanding off of the edges, right? To make us more and more and more like Jesus. But he talks about when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, that there is fruit that comes from that. And I, and I think, and, and I'll, I'll just read the fruit of the spirit, which is something that we're, we're familiar with. Hopefully most of us Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. I think the interesting thing about the word fruit or the description of them being fruit mm. is that fruit grows naturally. When the soil is right, when the, you know, the, 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 there's water flowing to the tree, the tree is alive, the tree will, as a matter of course, bear fruit, right? Whereas the fact, because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you really do have a natural, a real relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Naturally, over time, as you're getting closer to him and, and um, he's becoming more and more in your life and, and you're becoming less and less, mm -hmm. um, you will see love grow, joy grow, patience grow, self-control grow, all of these things, right? Naturally, as a matter of course. But the Pharisee or the hypocrite is trying to manufacture those things manually. I'm trying to make myself... Uh, appear loving because I can't, it's a fake fruit. It's a, it's a piece of plastic that I'm pinning to a tree, like the baubles on a Christmas tree. It's not a real fruit that is naturally grown out of that. And so we want the appearance without the actual inward change in the work of God yeah. in our lives. And um, can, I, can I jump in here, Shads, like on that note, um, there's a superficial understanding of the third commandment um, that, yeah, which is, um, do not take the name of um, the Lord your God in vain. Mm. And I think it relates to what you're saying because a lot of times people, uh, I mean, look, people like me growing up, um, I used to think that meant you can't say the phrase OMG. Mm. That's, that's using God's name in vain. And whenever my auntie, um, who is very Egyptian, would say, like she would exclaim at everything and she would say, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and I'd be like shocked. Oh my goodness, how could you say such a thing? You're using the Lord's name in vain. Mm. And look, maybe God doesn't appreciate that. I don't know. But I think more seriously in what you're referring to is this idea that if you're going to represent God, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to put on the um, cross that Christ bore, and this is what the Pharisees are doing, right? They're respected Jewish leaders and they're supposed to be the voice of God to the people of the day. Mm. And you don't actually live up to, well, not, not live up to a standard, but you don't actually have the Holy Spirit in you and you're not actually in love with God. 
and then you work out of your own strength and your own understanding mm -hmm. and um you know you do a very bad job because we can't we can't lead anyone um without the holy spirit then that's what's so offensive and that's why jesus's words here are so harsh mm. but on the you know the flip side of that is okay so what if i am filled with the holy spirit and i do sometimes act hypocritically um and i ignorantly sin does mm. that mean that you know, as my brother, you, you can't approach me. You can't correct me because, you know, you yourself have sin. Um, I think that's a really good, that's a really good question. Just to follow up from that point that you just made. Second Timothy 2.19 says this. Nevertheless, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. God knows who's pretending and who isn't. And it follows on and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who takes on his name, which is the commandment you're describing, Sarah, mm -hmm. of the Lord must, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord must turn away from iniquity. There needs to be a change that happens. And Jesus said it in a different way. He said, wash the inside of the cup so that the outside can be clean. Mm -hmm. The tree has to be alive first before it can bear fruit. And it's saying here, whoever calls on the name of the Lord must turn away from iniquity. And so to follow into your next point, which is I've sinned, I've sinned 100%. And this turning away is a continual turning away. It's not, I've turned away once and I am now, I've been away forever. Mm -hmm. I am continually choosing to turn away. And so in my fight to do that, um, I will fall. And as a body of, of, of believers, brothers and sisters, we are called to encourage each other, to rebuke each other, to exhort each other, to, you know, all of those things. So no, we're definitely called to, to call each other out on that yeah. with wisdom and in love. And Jesus has um, a really amazing analogy for that. That's in Matthew chapter seven. If you have it up, Sarah, could you read it for us? Yeah, sure. So Matthew chapter seven, verses three to five says this. Why do you stare from without at the very small particle that is in your brother's eye, but do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the tiny particle out of your eye, also known as a speck, but I'm using the amplified version. Yeah. When there is a beam of timber in your own eye. You hypocrite, first get the beam of timber out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the tiny speck out of your brother's eye. I think we, we can fall into sort of this really simplistic understanding of that verse. I think you've all heard that. Maybe the wording was a little bit different in what you just read, but hey, you know, um, you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you have a log in your own eye. Um, first, you hypocrite, take out the log from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck from your brother's eye. And you mentioned a really good point over the phone just before we got on, Sarah, that we always focus on the first half of the verse, which is, Hey, don't judge. But I, I think, no, we're called to, um, don't judge means don't condemn. I didn't make the law. I don't send people to hell. I don't say where their end is going to be. And I don't cut them off from the opportunity to receive grace. That's not my place. But in order Hang for them on, but we don't, but we don't believe that God sends people to hell technically. Well, that, well, you yeah. can, yeah, we don't like, we don't anyway, there's this point of, um, 
in order for, it doesn't just stop at, which is what you said, it doesn't just stop at take out the plank from your own eye and kind of just deal with yourself. It's like, yeah. no, take out the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to, to take out the speck from your brother's eye. So there is an expectation that both, the, whether it's a log or a speck, it needs to be removed. Yeah, yeah. But how we do that, uh, and maybe you can speak to that, So. Well, I actually was going to um, bring up an analogy that you mentioned earlier, which was um, about, you know, trying to take a speck out of someone's eye requires a high level of skill. Like, let's take this literally, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure that, that David has seen cases where a, a patient will come in with, like, a bit of glass um, in their eye that has to be removed. Um, you probably should have gone to med school for a while mm. and uh, you probably should have some qualifications, some experience because to remove something that irritating, it takes finesse, right? Otherwise mm. you can do more harm than the speck is posing in the first place. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think that, you know, like you said that the spiritual um, reflection of that is, if you're going to speak to someone, then A, make sure you're not doing it out of a place of judgment and con because that is condemning somebody and that is not what the Bible calls us to do. God doesn't condemn the world, but he does convict us and he does, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is who brings conviction and he uses Christians to express his will and his words um, as well as the word of God, as well as hearing from God directly. So we do still have an onus of responsibility to speak up when we see something that is not, um, that is not helpful yeah. to somebody and, and especially when they can't see it themselves. But first, you know, inspect your own self, ask the Holy Spirit to come, ask him to show you if there's um, any kind of wrong motive. Because if you speak correction without love, then you will do more harm than good. Just like somebody like me trying to perform eye surgery on you. I'm going to ruin your beautiful eyes and you're going to be really mad at me and it's not going to be good for anyone. Yeah. And I think just back to the original question of, you know, if I've sinned, can I pull somebody else up in love in all of it, using all of the things that you just said? Mm. Um, I think there's this really beautiful analogy where the way that we describe our relationship with God is, hey, I'm just a beggar who is telling other beggars where I found bread. Like I'm not suddenly better than you. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm acknowledging more of my need for Jesus when I've come to him, not, not less. It's like, oh, I've gotten Jesus and now I'm, I'm, I'm all good. I'm relying on him moment by moment to breathe, let alone to do anything else. So it's like, Hey, me calling you out and me saying, Hey dude, if you keep smoking two packs a day, it's, it's, it's going to kill you. Um, that's an act of love. Now it can be, it can definitely be done in, in a way that is not an act of love. Whether I've smoked before, whether I've done, that doesn't take away from the truth of if you keep doing this, it, it's going to kill you. And I love you too much to stay silent on this and let you die. So not judging doesn't just mean agreeing and accepting everything. I think it, it means the opposite. It means leaving the judgment to the judge. Mm. For me, it's for me to, to do the, the work of, warning and speaking out and, and doing all the things that I need to do, especially within the body of Christ, within those people who, like you were saying before, Sarah, they have taken on the name of Christ. And so we're all encouraging each other to represent that name 
as best as we can and to do it according to the word of God and, and through his power. And so that, that requires us being close enough and loving enough uh, and spirit filled enough to actually lead each other back when we go astray. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so sort of in closing to, to wrap this um, discussion up, what do you think the solution is to hypocrisy? in the church and, you know, in, even within our own, own uh, hearts. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's taking God at his word and accepting what he says about us. Um, and that means accepting the gospel. It's really, I think that when, when we do drift into that road of hypocrisy and pride and insecurity and all those different things is when we miss the real and the, the most beautiful message of the gospel, which takes the weight off us and says, Hey, you don't need to pretend you don't need to. I, I, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had cleaned ourselves up, not once we had reached some sort of spiritual level of acceptance, but while we were yet sinners, the people who were spitting in his face as he was, he was saying, father, forgive them. People who were putting the nails in his hands. Mm. That is the extent to which Jesus forgives. That is the extent to which, you know, so he's not, you don't need, I think on one hand to try to clean yourself up is to say, no, God's love isn't enough for me. And that's making him out to be a liar. And, 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 and that's, it's a form of unbelief to say, mm. no, Jesus, what Jesus did isn't enough. I need to add to it myself. That's a big problem. And on the other hand, it's saying, um, no, like I'm, I'm going to earn it by being, um, you know, good enough. And, and that's equally toxic and both lead away from God. Um, but really the, the solution is to say everyone in the Bible, I think this is the whole theme of the Bible before Jesus and after Jesus is that the Bible shows you chapter after chapter, broken men and women, David, the man after God's own heart who committed adultery, and who murdered a man in, in cold blood mm. and who, you know, blah, 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 the list goes on. Moses, who was a coward and ran away and murdered a man. Abraham, who lied twice after seeing what God did in, in, when, you know, the crunch time came. Mm. Gideon, uh, Peter cutting off the ear of the, mm. and, so, and it goes on and on and on and on. The whole message of the Bible is that no man and no woman can ever be good enough. There is no other name under heaven by which we, we can be saved. And so it's to recognize that those outward good things God intended for us, but he intended for us when he inhabits our lives and our hearts. And as he changes us from the inside out so that our heart that was away from him gets taken out and his heart gets put in mm -hmm. and more and more and more, we begin to look like him. And that's where the goodness and the good works and all those things naturally come mm -hmm. as fruit. But I think, the, the antidote to hypocrisy is to be vulnerable before God and to say, Lord, I, I am broken and messed up and there is all these inconsistencies in my life and I want to be like you. You know, please take me as I am, save me and make me more like you mm -hmm. um, because that's, that's like, the only way. It's like David's prayer in the Psalms. I'm not sure which one exactly, but he says, um, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Um, reveal if there is any unclean thing within within me, because it takes it takes God's eyes to examine our mm. hearts, to convict us, yeah. and to show us where we are perhaps um, 
you know, out of, out of line with where he would have us be, you know, and there's a great um, verse in James that I want to share with you guys. Mm. Um, just in closing is James one verse 23. And it says this, for if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he is like a man who looks carefully at his own natural reflection in a mirror, mm. thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he looks like. Mm. And that's, and that's the thing. We can, we can come to Christ. We can be saved. We can have genuine experience, genuine repentance. But if we don't, like you said before, if we don't continue turning away from iniquity, if we don't continue seeking God's face and pursuing his heart and reading the word and, um, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, then we're going to forget what we look like. We're going to forget what sins we struggle with. And everybody has their own secret sin um, that they fall into and uh, it's easy to ignore that, especially when you've been a Christian for a long time or you've been raised in a Christian family. Mm. Um, sometimes the it's easy to gloss over certain things that are falling off the way in your life. Mm. Whereas if you're in the word, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to wash you clean as you read it. Um, it's It's a... You know, it's a hallmark of a Pharisee to be someone that uses the name of God and uh, appears as a Christian, as a godly person, but then hasn't actually cleaned out their heart, hasn't actually allowed the Holy Spirit to penetrate and to um, bring healing and to cleanse and to sanctify. So I think there's a warning in there because, you know, hypocrisy, it's a message to the church. It's not a message to the world. And Jesus is very direct and very harsh in the way he deals with hypocrisy. Mm. So I think it's important for us to not to be afraid of being a hypocrite because I'm sure someone will point it out, but to be afraid of not being in the word, to be afraid of drifting away from the Lord, to be afraid of um, taking for granted that we've got this Christian thing down pat. You know, there's always room for us to bear, as you said before, more of the fruit of the spirit. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of all I have to say on hypocrisy. Are there any last words you would like to add? Yeah, just to remark on the, the real relevance of what you said about the word of God being like the mirror. Because just think about in practical life, I, you know, I, I look like this now. I'm going to go to sleep. All this is going to get messed up and, and, and I'm going to wake up and there's going to be sleep in my eyes and whatever. And there is no way that I would leave the house without looking at the mirror and making sure that as I leave, there is, there is a, that's the thing that we all do. And I think we don't treat the Bible that way, where the Bible reflects back to us our own hearts and their own wickedness and reminds us, hey, you are way out of line on the left here. You need, this is, remember, this is the way, come back to it. But you know, we treat it like we look at the mirror you know, every Christmas and then, and then once again, every Easter. And once again, I'm like, that's, that's, that's not how you would live your life practically at all. Mm-hmm. We need to be looking at that mirror every day and making sure that we haven't drifted one way or the other, like a person on a ship with a heading on a compass, mm-hmm. You're constantly referring back to it to make sure that you're, you're on the right track because the wind and the waves and the current are taking you left, right and center moment by moment. You need to be, um, you know, in the word for direction and for washing. And that's the, the beauty of that. But yeah.
Yeah, absolutely.